0: Welcome to Exec Insights, conversations about Australian business and the changing world, brought to you from QUT Executive Education. I'm Kate Joyner from QUT's Graduate School of Business. So with the nature of change in our businesses and organisations, how do we grow the people who are going to front up and take on this brave new world, who will step up and take ownership of some of the more intractable and complex problems? I'm looking forward today to having a conversation with Professor Paul Hibbert, Paul is Dean of the Faculties of Arts and Divinity at the University of St Andrews at Fife in Scotland. He's currently visiting QUT and on Monday gave a seminar on the topic Leader Formation, Interpreting Experience. Professor Hibbert, may I call you Paul? Please do. So I thought we'd start with the really important matters. So Paul, you're from St Andrews University um, in Scotland. So, wasn't that the university that uh, Prince William and Catherine (laughs) went to? So, if so, did you meet them?
1: I didn't meet them actually, they were just before my time. Oh, before. um, Oh, bugger. No, I don't tire of hearing about them, it's absolutely fine. (laughs) But there are lots of wonderful students there and they're just typical of the nice kids we see, to be honest.
0: Mm. So they obviously, I mean, that's uh, quite a feather in that university's cap Mm -hmm. would be to have uh, uh, Prince William choose. What were the strengths that he was looking for from St Andrews, do you think, that made him choose?
1: It's a university renowned for its uh, quality in both teaching and research, takes Mm. both very seriously. A smaller university, only nine and a half thousand students, which I think in Australian terms would be tiny.
0: I don't think we have an institution of nine and a half thousand.
1: But it's also an ancient university, so it's the third oldest in the UK in the English-speaking world. Six hundred and something years old now. And even the job I have myself at uh, the university as Dean of Arts is six hundred years old. And that's pretty cool, I think, that so is tradition the, is a big thing.
0: Well, no, I was telling you before that uh, the, uh, we had Andrew Pedigree uh, oh, as yes. a guest uh, just a few weeks ago and he was talking about you have to understand leadership in its whole historical context, knowing the leaders who have come before you. But that would be quite hard in your situation with 600 years of that. Yeah, I
1: couldn't track all the details, but there's still, there's still lessons passed from hand to hand. And mm. I think part of that is important at St Andrews, that we are guided by an idea of what university is that comes from tradition, to some degree. We're still, we're not quite in the ancient world, but it feels <laughs> like it sometimes.
0: <laughs> That'd be a wonderful experience, yeah, I do love Scotland. but. Um, Paul, your your topic is um, leader formation. So I think when I went to your presentation just earlier this week, you spoke, as Andrew did, in fact, Andrew Pettigrew, about how we have a strong focus in schools of business and so forth on the individual, charismatic, strong leader. There's a very strong tradition in in our theory. And uh, you're suggesting, as Andrew did, that we need to start reframing that. Would you agree?
1: Yes, that's right. I think um, for two reasons. One is that whoever's Leading isn't doing that all of the time. They take different roles, and leading is something you pick up and put down. So you can't think of somebody being, striding around as a leader. I like to think of Winston Churchill eating his breakfast or something. He's not quite being a great leader at that point, but also-
0: His wife probably never thought him as charismatic. No, not at all, I'm quite
1: sure. Yeah, we won't go into the details of Winston Churchill's home life, probably. But also, um, the ways in which people enact things, the way in which they understand things is, is collaborative and relational more often than not. And so we don't achieve anything by ourselves. Uh, Even people who are seen to be great leaders need a team around them, and they are developed by those people as they develop them.
0: So, and particularly so I think in the 21st century, where uh, we just discussed this with Jeff Abbott in the context of um, coaching, is that we don't know all the answers, and to assume that we we do, and we just impart them from up high is, uh, if if it was ever, Appropriate is certainly not now with the, the pace of change.
1: No, that's right. And people often ask, how does a, a prime minister or a CEO cope with the complexity of a large organisation, understand it all, and the answer is, they don't. Um, they have to trust and rely on other people to get things done, and that's an essence of leading as well, in that the mm-hmm. practice is shared around. If you try and keep all the cards in your own hand, then you can't really play the game. It's not going to work that way. Mm-hmm. And so it is about um, sharing out the complexity amongst the team and also recognising that you, because you can't understand it all, there are moments when you as a leader or somebody in a leading role have to learn rather than giving a quick answer.
0: Mm. We mentioned too that um, what, when we started to step away from the idea about the, the singular and, and uh, charismatic powerful leader, we started to introduce concepts like servant leadership an authentic leadership and you you said quite interestingly I think that that really just points the arrow in another direction but still to one person
1: oh particularly servant leadership I think it depends on the way these concepts are used and there's a rich uh, discourse about these things but sometimes servant leadership inverts the pyramid so rather than somebody sitting on top of it there's somebody holding the whole thing up and that's not really a different model it's just another way of looking at the same model I the think model. so mm. yeah it still points to one person just the arrow is uh, up down rather than up
0: Mm. And I I think too, around the same time that we were just generally questioning these ideas that uh, I guess maybe in 2007, in the wake of global financial crises and certain big ethical failures um, in leadership, that we started to get a little bit um, put off by the whole idea generally, I think, and started to question uh, the nature of organisations and the nature of leadership. um, Start to look at um, ideas about responsible leadership. But but in that wake, we started, uh, you mentioned, to develop leadership development practices that you know built on social conscience but even those ideas are maybe a tiny bit flawed. Um,
1: well nothing is a perfect solution I mean that's part yeah. of the discussion we had earlier this week really was mm-hmm. about that problem that you can't fix uh, behaviors with a quick um, workshop session so you 51 weeks of the year you're standing up shooting people, 52nd <laughs> week you're having a nice conversation It doesn't change you.
0: No, or, or those practices where for 51 weeks of the year we're, we're sort of a kill, uh, you know, eat what you kill kind of organisation and then we go build an orphanage in a third world country. <laughs>
1: so, yeah. it's, it sounds the conscience a little bit but doesn't transform. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. it is about how you build those kinds of different attitudes into the normal sets mm. of practicing.
0: Mm. So uh, you mentioned also that some of these uh, practices that we, that we employ in leader develop, uh, development uh, don't really bridge what you call the, the knowledge action gap. So if we're trying to build a sense of, of uh, social responsibility, for example, um, we might raise the awareness that, there, uh, that this concept is important but not the willingness or the ability to do anything about it.
1: That's right, and I think part of that depends on the amount of reflection or the degree of reflection that somebody is in, able to enact in one sense that gets you so far but also the depth of that reflection being able to see the other person the other person's situation as being meaningful to you and trying to inhabit their world a little bit mm. so you might go and clean up the orphanage and do that, do that good work but unless you feel connected it's quite different so the depth of interpretation of your experience is really essential to that mm. uh, how you um, are exploring what's going on around you and your role in it, and seeing the connectedness, I think, and the community context of things too.
0: Mm. Um, which, which leads on beautifully, I think, to your whole concept um, about how leaders are formed, so that you do take a very broad and holistic view about the leader. So if we were to ask our successful, um, well, I'll go still go with the individual leader, but um, how they were formed, or what, what grew them um, to be the person that they are to take on some large leadership challenges, they probably mentioned some critical incidents um, mm-hmm. in their career, in their life really, and their ability to be shaped and reformed by that experience. So you speak more about leader formation than, than traditional leadership concepts. Have I got that right?
1: Yes, re- yes you have, that's great. It's, it's about those incidents, but also being open to those incidents being a continuing experience. So every kind of event of experience when we engage with other people, or indeed as I talk about, you know, complex artwork mm. that demands something else of us in our understanding, then we're open to being changed and developed. And it's keeping that openness alive and not saying, well, I had that experience 20 years ago, that made me the man I am today. Yes.
0: And just stopping <laughs> that there. That one formative incident. Yeah, in that. That, that's no good to anybody.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: And in fact, I mean, if we accept the premise that the 21st century is challenging in, in all dimensions, we have to be open to having our ideas tested, contested, reframed at all times uh, and being open to views uh, not our own. Yes, indeed. Mm. Um, you also spoke quite beautifully about um, when we engage with ideas um, and be ready to engage in a number of interpretations, the power of engagement with um, Things aesthetic, so whether that's works of fiction or works of art or works of music, works works of poetry, how that imp- how that can be very powerful in a whole person's development. Has that been important to you?
1: It has. I mean, I, I, I showed a, a favorite painting of mine when we were talking mm. earlier in the week as an example, but also poetry has been important to me. These kinds of aesthetic experiences are important because they slow down our thinking. We live in a world where we demand where the res- the demand is for quick responses the whole time, react. What's the answer? And something that stops you in your tracks, engages you differently and makes you think more broadly about your life and and the the world you inhabit in general is really important. It opens up different directions. It makes you sensitive to different questions and this kind of slower pattern of thinking. I think that's so important.
0: Mm, And just constantly more challenging. I mean, I find it, and I've been reading other people say the same thing, that our ability to focus Um, on a text. Um, I like to pick up a physical um, text and uh, spend any time reading on it has become, I've been finding it quite challenging.
1: Yeah, it's difficult. And I think we're kind of trained now to pick up any text, whether we're reading something for work or enjoyment even. And our aim when we pick it up is to get to the end, (laughs) when actually it's it's the inhabiting of it. And Mm. it's the time away from your normal thinking that's important in an artistic work. Mm. And so getting to the end is the last thing you want to do in some respects, but, you know, we want a page-turner. That's mm-hmm. how we describe a popular book, something we get through, mm-hmm. but actually slowing down is what's better.
0: Sounds, sounds wonderful, but you actually, um, I mean, it is wonderful, of course mm. it is. My first degree was actually in um, music. Um, ah. So, and then, you know, at the time, uh, a little later, early in my career, I thought, oh, why didn't, like where I am now, I thought, why didn't I do economics? Why didn't I choose economics? Mm. But the older you get, the the more you realise how powerful that experience was to, you know, to inform, to, yes, to grow yourself um, as a whole person and a leader. Uh, and now I think it's invaluable <laughs> to have had that experience. Um, just um, so enriching. You actually mentioned, um, and I've been thinking about too, the... the uh, President Obama and his reading habits. So he was quite um, a wide and voracious reader. Uh, And he he speaks about the power of reading, doesn't he?
1: He does. I mean, from his earliest days, he talks about reading uh, a wide range of philosophers and theologians, actually, in his formative years to try and challenge himself. And that's the great uh, signal of somebody who's open-minded, really, that they're reading things they're uncomfortable with, or they're entertaining experiences that, that challenge them. And you can't really grow without that. Um, I think you see great failures of leadership and I won't mention any other current presidents that probably won't be helpful. You
0: did, it was so interesting. (laughs) Uh, Yes, but we're trying not to go go to Trump every
1: time. (laughs) If we set aside um, somebody's current reading habits, if you look at somebody who only maintains a group around them that are completely like them, then they're cut off from learning and change and and sources of understanding. It's no good. And so Obama's um, history of reading and challenging himself I think it was tremendously powerful. And he's done it also in his um, time as president through reading fiction, but literary fiction, that, again, challenges and takes him on. And that's something I recommend to students now um, in postgraduate programmes. How do I you know, get to be a more thoughtful manager or a better leader? Well, you read some difficult novels. And this <laughs> I'm is sure not... they
0: welcome that. that <laughs> well,
1: nonsense. amongst other things, it's not the only yeah. thing you do, mm. obviously. But, it, but that kind of broadening of yourself, you can't do it by being a better management theoretician. I'm not saying we should stop teaching management theory and practice at all, but I'm saying what else is there that gives the breadth and the edge to people, so there's more.
0: You won't mention it, but I will. You actually did the interesting juxtaposition between um, President Obama's reading mm. habits and his lifetime of reading and the, yeah. his ability to take on challenging texts. with um, with. The, the current President of the United States. He was asked
1: about books in an interview and he, and he pointed to a couple of books in the room and said, oh those, those are books, they're good, more or less. You know, Which um, that's a different level of engagement, isn't it?
0: It, it is a different level yeah. of engagement. But um, I did notice, I think this was reported in the Harvard Business Review, that yeah. the Navy, I think in their senior management ranks, has a reading program and it is mm. uh, challenging works of fiction. I'm sure it's in sort of probably one genre, but, mm-hmm. but it is I mean, an interesting concept. I suppose if you're out at sea for any particular length of time, it would be a wonderful thing to engage in a discussion you know, with the, um, your commanding officer um, on the nature of a, a, a work of fiction. I think it would be a wonderful thing to do.
1: And I often meet very thoughtful people from the services actually. I did a lot of research with police service in, in Scotland in the past and often very thoughtful people. People think that police work, for example, is very straightforward. There's the law and you deliver it and that's fine. No, you have situations all the time where it's not clear what's the best thing to do for people in a situation. You have to think and balance compassion and justice sometimes, it's quite difficult. And so people in those roles, the people in the senior levels of those services are often very thoughtful indeed. And so I'm not surprised that the Navy has that kind of approach either.
0: I know, to broaden out people's thinking about what is a warrior, I suppose, and and, um, how we serve um, more generally. And I think to, um, particularly if they engage with the younger officers, I suppose, it is to broaden their ideas about service, about leadership, um, and to improve mental health, I'd imagine, um, I would hope.
1: Yeah, that's true. I, I think, um, you know, besides the developmental aspects of it, we mustn't make it sound like it's like physical exercise, it's oh, no, all no it does. It's also, it's also a place to take you out of where you are. You yes. know? So it's another place to be in any mm. situation. So that is healthy too. Mm. Um, yeah.
0: So uh, you mentioned that uh, actually dialogue um, is one of the practices uh, of leader formation and not necessarily dialogue, uh, as in coaching or a conversation, but a dialogue with, uh, with a challenging text or a, a dialogue with um, uh, you know, uh, a work of art or a work of poetry. But if we do take it in the sense of uh, conversations that we might have amongst each other, you mentioned that the power of that is that we create, uh, we, we might contest our views, but in the contesting we create something new.
1: That's right, so we're looking for something new to emerge between us rather than for one of us to win. And in so many of our business conversations, we want to look for the, for the winner. And it's not like that if you're developing. And we grow more if we grow together and in the space between us. So we're always opening up in conversation little views into our whole world. And there's much more to be gained by opening that up through questions and seeing more. And then finding there's a space between us where we grow something new. That sounds a bit poetic really, but you know, you know the kind of place I'm trying to go with that. I
0: do. Well, and it would be a wonderful uh, principle to inject into Twitter conversations, I think, at the moment, which is very much about, it's very combative actually in social media, isn't it? Um, but if we take the time uh, with each other uh, to stop and listen, that we can create something new.
1: The thing is to challenge yourself with form when you have very short media. So if you want to slow things down in Twitter, write your Twitter responses in haiku only.
0: Ah, and then you so slow down, <laughs> yes, that, that automatic... Uh, I can't a promise, a I can't promise that's
1: what I do myself, <laughs> but, you know. but that's an idea, you know, how can we use a form to challenge the way we use a, a fast medium to interrupt the, the kind of normal cut and thrust to slow things down? And those are quite reflective exercises too, trying to express things poetically, and haiku are quite simple to construct.
0: They are. Well, I don't think I've written a haiku since high school, so I'll have to brush up. Yeah. <laughs> Um, maybe a limerick. <laughs> um, but w- when um, students ask you uh, and you, you say uh, read some challenging novels, um, you know, generally for the emerging leaders, shall we say, what actually would you recommend?
1: Oh, well, it depends on the person and what they've read before. I'd say something that gives you almost a visceral reaction would be, would be good. I think uh, John Fowles, The Magus, is a very difficult novel to read and so I recommend that one, but brace yourself. And depending where your mind goes, I think magical realist authors, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, are very good because they challenge people who have a very literal mindset. So that would be good. Um, oh, I want to go off on a reading tangent now. Go. I don't know where I'd go. I'd also say um, forms of poetry as well because they have this slower view. And I find, um, well, I like a whole range of poets. Eliot's my favourite the whole time. Because of the the rich imagery and the layers there, you keep reading it and seeing new things. So anything that works you like that? And anything actually doesn't have to be quite so challenging, but you can go back to and find new layers and insights in it. I probably read, I think I mentioned this before, I probably read Pride and Prejudice once a year.
0: Oh, I loved you for that. <laughs> but, it's, but
1: it's a great novel and it's a great story, but it takes several readings before you want to stop turning the page quickly because it's just a great... Narrative that pulls you in, but then you, after a while, you realize just how witty it is yes. and the way it has such a, a rich characterization of human life and, and mm. little vignettes of the and way people behave. Observation Absolutely.
0: My mother had a favorite quote, I think it was Lady Catherine de Berg, and she said, um, I too would have been proficient on the piano had I ever learned. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Something applies
1: for all of us, I think. Yeah.
0: I think so too. Mm. Well, you did um, mention the power of poetry mm. and and this is where I think, um, to end it would be wonderful if you would choose to um, give us any piece that you would like to offer us on this pri- uh, this rainy Friday afternoon.
1: Well, I'll give you a few uh, favourite remembered lines and they build on really the idea of humility and, you know, you've got to stop yourself thinking too much of yourself. and so. Uh whenever I get a bit carried away thinking I'm a bit t- a bit too self-important, I remember a few lines from Eliot, and that is um, No, I am not Prince Hamlet, nor was meant to be. Am an attendant lord, one that will do to swell an entrance, fill a scene or two.
0: And on that note, I can't top it, so thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Exec Insights. For more information about QUT's Executive Education programs, please search QUT Executive Education and you'll find a full range of our programs and services.